Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. everybody welcome in to Loretta McNary live and it is Monday so that means it is ask an attorney Monday right here on Loretta McNary live thank you guys so much for tuning in guys and beautiful ladies we have a wonderful show for you today and as you know Monday has been that thing about law and legal, <laughs> and so I've met some of the most amazing attorneys here, not only in the Memphis area, but truly around the country, and so that's what we'll be doing now is talking to someone who is actually has her practice in Mississippi. Yes, she is the first non-located um, here in Memphian attorney, and <laughs> let me tell you, when I say the bar is still raised very, very high. Pardon the pun. <laughs> I'm so excited that we have Victoria Washington with us today. And let me just tell you a little about her so you'll know where we're coming from. Because you know if she's on the show, that means she is the creme de la creme, the top of the list, the best of the best. She um, armed with her bachelor's degree. She began her master's program at Bell Haven University while teaching sixth and seventh graders language arts and she, she worked at the Chaston Middle School. Yeah, she has a ton of stuff I'm trying to tell you about. So Ms. Washington served as the head coach of the girls' basketball team. In addition to teaching language arts, right, she's the head coach of the girls' basketball team and assistant coach of the volleyball team. But after her second year teaching in the Jackson Public School District and interning with the Committee on Homeland Security in Washington, D.C., Victoria decided it was time to pursue her dreams. She accepted she was accepted to the University of Mississippi School of Law in Oxford, Mississippi in 2011. While there, she served as chairman in the Black Law Student Association. She was a member of the Dean's Leadership Council and held as the winner and semifinalist in several moot court and trial advocacy. I think I lost you.
Okay, I'll tell you, technology, technology, technology. Victoria, thank you so much for staying on the call with us. So, everybody, welcome to Loretta McNary Live, Ask an Attorney Monday, Victoria Washington. Hi there. Let me get you back on here. Mm -hmm. I'm great. You know what? When I got your bio, I was super impressed. (laughs) And I'm not easily impressed (laughs) because I've had, like I said, some of the best attorneys. But you came highly recommended from a friend of the show, Quentin, um, I'm telling you, with Morgan and Morgan. So, anyway, Victoria, did you always want to be an attorney? Because I know you said follow your dreams. So, was that something you always wanted to become? A lot of people don't believe it, but actually, yes, I uh, represented the wolf against the three little pigs in the third grade, and I was destined to be an attorney ever since. (laughs) I got him off. He really did not. Yes, he did not blow those houses down, I'm telling you. <laughs> I love You just have to that. look at it from both sides of the lens. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, since the third grade. So you were you able know, to get him attorney. off? So you I got him list? off. Yeah, I don't know if my teacher had, you know, sympathy or pity, but, but I got him off. <laughs> We don't care when it comes to a case because win is a win. So that a win is, is a win. Super impressive. <laughs> it is a win is a win. So it's early as the third grade, and but you mm-hmm. decided to go into uh, teaching first. I did. I, I went into teaching uh, because I, I played ball at Tougaloo College. I thought I wanted to do a. You know, I was going to segue into coaching. Uh, so those, you know, coaching, t- playing ball was my first love. And yeah, I kind of segued away from being an attorney until I started teaching and said, oh, something's missing. So I just went back to it. Mm-hmm. I went back to it. I love it. I love it. And so after law school, you began working at Sparkman, Zumik, Zumak, and Perry, and then started as a law clerk in the Sixth Circuit Court Judicial District. And you worked at Perry Griffin, PC in South Haven, Mississippi. And in January 2018, last year, you started your own firm, the Washington Law Firm. I love that. I did. So how has that been? Because you just <laughs> celebrated the year. Congratulations. I know. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I it's it's It was a year, January 8th, and so... Um, I actually haven't really told many people. I've been blessed to have my doors open and people come in. Uh, just, just blessed. Just blessed to have consistent flow of of clients. Just telling other people about my service. And so I haven't gone live yet, but I guess this probably would be live. <laughs> yeah. Now you have not only locally but to the world. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, so, <laughs> so I guess everybody yeah. knows. <laughs> Yeah, they mm-hmm. will know. We we will help a lot of people to know that you're celebrating one year. Okay, do you remember the very first um, case you worked on and then the very first one you took to trial? Oh, um, I, I, the very first case I worked on. That's I know, hard. it's been a while now. <laughs> I know, because it's really hard uh, to I do remember the very first criminal case that I worked on, so I can't tell you the very first uh, personal injury or anything like that, but I can tell you the first, the first uh, criminal case was I was actually working with an attorney, and he was um, 
trying, um, I think it was a murder case, but they were, they had an expert who wanted to bring shoe print analysis. And I just uh, finished interning with the Innocence Project under uh, Professor Tucker Carrington. And we've done an extensive course on the unreliability of shoe print analysis and, and expertise. And so I remember specifically doing a lot of research on how to get that uh, the expert's opinion thrown out. And I remember that was a case that I was really excited about, actually, that I could put what I had just learned in law school to work. And uh, the first trial was an assault on a police officer um, and possession of marijuana that I was able to get my client uh, client off on. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you did. You mentioned personal injury, and I know now you you kind of specialize in criminal law. So what other areas of law have you worked cases on? I've done. I, I do personal injury as well. My baby is criminal law, and I have just a personal affinity uh, to criminal law. Um, I do personal injury, family law. Um, that's pretty much pretty much it. Well, civil rights, and I do a lot of post-conviction relief, actually. Um, a lot of a lot of people contact me while they're incarcerated, and I've actually been able to successfully get recently one of my clients out. She had a 20-year sentence, and now she's at home. She's on house arrest, but she's at home. So I get she's a lot of post-conviction home. relief as well. She's at home. Okay, mm-hmm. but we haven't I, talked I a lot about post-conviction. I'm sorry. Okay. So what did you just say? I was interrupting you because I'm trying to really find out more about the post-conviction. But what were you saying after you said she's at home now on house arrest? No, I'm just, it was nothing but God. She's at home. That's, I was just repeating that she's yeah. at home. I have to tell myself that she's at home. <laughs> no, that that was all. <laughs> okay. So, and that is incredible. Oh, wow. If I didn't have to keep this show moving, I would stay there a long time and really have a praise break because I'm a Jesus girl, too, and I give him glory for everything. And that is that is huge for, for you and for her. So what is post-conviction, what you call it, relief? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it, it's abbreviated. You will hear it a lot, PCR. And so post-conviction relief is pretty much a person. So you have. So I'll walk you quickly through the criminal process. Usually a person is indicted. They're charged first, and then they're indicted. Either the grand jury will return a true bill, which says they're indicted, or a no bill, which means that they don't believe there's enough probable cause or enough evidence to indict them on the charge. And, of course, we've had so many criminal criminal, huge criminal from um, criminal proceedings from Freddie Gray to, you know, all of the people who've, been killed uh, and looking for prosecutorial um, indictments, uh, but it's 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 not hard to get an indictment. So once a person is indicted, they go before the court and um, they either have a trial or they plead guilty. Whatever, however, they end up incarcerated. A post conviction relief says I'm incarcerated, and there are a very limited. Uh, uh, reasons that I should be granted relief. I need to go back before the court because either one, the law was not substantiated, it's unconstitutional, or that I did not have effective assistance of counsel. And you do know that everyone who's charged with the crime, they are entitled to effective counsel. 
And then it, the third thing is either there is newly discovered evidence that shows that at the time of the plea or at the time of the trial it was not available. Now after the trial it is available. So those are the top three um, the top three exceptions to incarceration where you can get back before the judge and say, hey, I need my, I need a second chance. I need you to relook at this um, because I don't supposed to be here. And so that's what post-conviction relief is. And it's hard because once you take a plea, once you go to trial, it's hard. When I tell you, extremely difficult to get you back out. So um, that's what post-conviction relief is, is, to get back before the court to say, take, I need you to take a second look at my case. Wow, that is impressive. Again, very impressive. Because I have not covered that. We've covered a ton of areas of law, but we have not um, covered that. So uh, maybe you'll come back. You'll graciously accept my invitation to come back, and we can talk about that. Because I'm sure our audience, um, because generally everybody probably knows somebody who's incarcerated or been incarcerated themselves or looking or fighting to keep from being incarcerated. So that's why I love the value of doing this Ask an Attorney um, program. So mm-hmm. that that's hope, though. That's like it's not over because I'm thinking once you are indicted and you're um, told how long your sentence and you're in jail, then you serve out your time unless somebody gives you, um, what is that, what the president or governor or somebody can give you clemency or something. Give you out. Clemency or some type of pardon. Mm-hmm. Well, it's okay, still difficult, so, so don't I, I don't want to be misleading. It's difficult. Right, you said and when it. I tell you, you it's really you difficult. It difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell my, you know, those cases that I do decide to take, those are the ones that I can pursue with full faith that they have a chance. You know, there are many mm-hmm. people who call me, and it's just, it's just, I, I don't see it. But if it, if if I get one that I I see on my desk and say, okay, this is a chance. It's worth the amount of money and time to put into pursuing this, then I take them. But they, it's hard. It's difficult. And I and I always tell you know people if I can talk to do any type of um, any type of seminar, if I can do a know your rights, I tell all of members of the public take criminal charges seriously, take guilty pleas seriously take them um, because a lot of people think I can take this plea and I can fix it later. No, make sure it's informed and it's intelligently made before you make it. Otherwise it's hard. Once they have your body, it's hard to get it back, you know, into the free world really is. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. So when people are taking a plea or going ahead and plead guilty as a po is that keeping them from going to trial or what would make somebody say, you know, I did it as opposed to trying to go to trial and see if they can get off, which is what you hire an attorney for, regardless if you did it or not. So mm-hmm. are are they coerced into taking a plea or are they saying, I don't want to go to trial, maybe I want to protect my family or, you know. That's a loaded question you know because, TV. Uh, say that again. You know, we see I a lot of you. stuff on TV. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we get all our information from that. And I, I think that, you know, that that can be a misconception and a lot a lot of people go into to believe it or not. I just reviewed some literature on what a lot of people who are incarcerated, a lot of issues that they have, the number one issue is that they didn't have communication with their counsel to understand the plea agreement. 
and they're going to go through when you go when you go to court. Um, the judge is going to go through. Are you happy with your counsel? Have they explained everything to you? And and most often, hopefully, you know, I'm, I I try to look on the err on the side of optimism to say that those who defend members of the criminal community are are you know they take their oath seriously and they're they are explaining everything to them. But the number one. Whether, you know, you take it as true or false, you know, most people say everybody in jail is innocent. <laughs> but whether you take it um, as true as true or not, they the first thing they say is they didn't, they they were misled. That's the first thing, whether it's true or not. They say they were misled. And so I, I don't necessarily think it's coercion. You know, you, you have the right to stand before the judge to say, you know, I didn't do this. But a lot of times they're afraid. I think the number one issue of uh, the number one reason that many people take pleas is fear. It's fear. They're afraid yeah. to go to trial, even if you know. And 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 I'm I, I I'm a little. Mm, I I I did the innocence project, and so those people who I I represented, they, you know, it's it's their contention that they're innocent, and so a lot of people say that well, based I didn't think that if I went to trial in this state or in this community, I would have gotten a fair chance. You'll hear that mm. more often than not. The jury doesn't look like me. Um, what I'm accused of, I, you know, I, I wouldn't stand a chance. So it's better for me to take this plea agreement. I'm looking at 15 years. The prosecutors offer me three years. I know I didn't do it, but if I go to trial and I lose, I'll get 15. I'll just take these three. That's what that's what okay, happens so a lot of times. That's the thought process. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is this you know? Because I know there got to be have those who were. Mhm. Mhm. are the, those who those who know they've done it. I think it's a more uh, let me make the best decision. You know, let me let me try to relieve the amount of time I stay behind bars. So you do have guilty clients, of course. Not everyone is innocent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> yeah, well, often supposedly, did not, they you know, it was you're innocent <laughs> until proven guilty, but now it seems like some of the cases that make national media, the people are guilty guilty until proven innocent, the reverse of how it was set up originally, which is to me crazy and unfortunate. So what I want to do now, I want to pause just a moment to thank my sponsors for today's show. And ATOP, uh, which is also called A Tour of Possibilities, it is created to share the historical and cultural gems that African Americans have contributed to Memphis, Tennessee. And so if you want to take a grand tour or an overview tour or an overview tour with food, please call Carolyn Michael Banks at 901-326-3736. Okay, I've taken that tour personally. I adore Carolyn and that tour. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. It is going to cause you to think. And you might get a little upset because she tells you everything that happened. And I think she touches about five to throughout um, the downtown area, Stacks, the Civil Rights Museum, um, uh, of course, the hotel, the, the location where King was shot, and the church as well where he gave his last speech. So make sure that you take 
advantage of what we have here in Memphis, and it's called A Tour of Possibilities, 901-326-3736. Now back to your regularly scheduled interview. <laughs> okay, so oh, you have already talked about so many things that I haven't talked about, and i got a ton of questions. So when you – so you walk us through – what happens if you have committed a crime or you are accused of having committed a crime? What is the first thing you should do other than call, most people are going to call their mom, I'm sure. But after that, what should mm-hmm. we do, Victoria? Don't say anything. <laughs> Don't say okay. anything and invoke your right to counsel. Okay. I, I Don't say anything. Invoke your right to counsel hire an attorney or request one. That's the most important thing I can tell any person who's been charged with a crime. Is to don't say anything. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's powerful when you think about it, though, because we do, again, on TV, get our information from all these shows on TV, and we see where they, um, that what's that called, they read you your Miranda rights? Mm Mm-hmm. And then yes, that's some, some kind know, of right. A lot of people don't understand. They don't understand when, you know, they're supposed to be read their Miranda rights. So I get a lot of people come in and say, well, they didn't read me my, my rights. It's like, well, they didn't have to. Not at that juncture. They didn't have to read you your rights. The only time that uh, officers are required to read you your Miranda rights is if they are about to interrogate you and to question you. Otherwise, they don't have to. Only oh, for interrogation. So when you're arrested, mm-hmm. they don't have to read the rights right then when they're putting you in handcuffs in the back of the car or whatever? No, unless they're into asking you questions. If they're going to ask you questions, then you need to know that once I respond, I'm waiving my right to counsel, and these statements can be used against me. So once they begin asking you questions, then you should be Mirandized. Otherwise, there's no reason to, you know, state that if they're not going to talk to you, then you don't need to know that whatever you say can be used against you because there shouldn't be any reason why you're talking to them. Oh. So what mm-hmm. if you initiate the conversation? Will they tell you, since you're going to talk, I have to go ahead and tell you, you have the right to remain silent or whatever? If you, as the person that they are detaining... <laughs> Again, I watch movies and TV. I don't know anybody personally who has, you know, done that, but I'm trying to get all these myths out of the way that I have an expert on TV. So, I mean, on uh, on the call with me. Yeah, well, I'm I'm definitely I'm I'm not an expert, but I I just want to qualify that statement that I'm definitely not an expert. But um, if you volunteer, anything is voluntary, and you are dealing. You would be dealing with an awesome officer if he said, "Wait, wait, wait, wait! Don't volunteer this statement. Let me tell you that you shouldn't tell me this. That that's <laughs> you are. You are. I have never experienced that. Yeah, that's not going to happen at all. So yeah, if you volunteer a statement, then it will be used against you. Um, it's voluntary. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's, okay, so now what's, the, okay, so you have not said anything, and they've taken you to to wherever they take you to detain you. At what point do they allow you to call your attorney, and what happens if you don't have an attorney already? 
Um, well, you should get a phone call once you're arrested. But the the thing is, is that that's everybody said. Well, I didn't get my phone call. I didn't get my phone call. But it's so much that goes behind the scenes when you are detained, whether you are really detained or arrested, and those are two different. Um, legal terms, right? So if you're detained, then you feel that you're not. Um, it's it's it should be temporary. It's it's done for questioning or for officers of safety. And at that point, they have to make a decision whether or not they want to arrest you. And so it just depends on what stage of the stop you're in. If you're stopped and you're detained, then of course you're not entitled to a phone call. But once you're arrested, you have to go through the booking process or whatever that a department does in order to book you. So it, it just depends. So it's it's a hard question to answer without knowing what phase you're in. Detained then, let's go there. Um, you're You're being detained. What are your rights if they are detaining you? Are they the same? As if they're you're being arrested. If you are detained, your right to counsel arises once you're arrested, right? Or once they start to interrogate you. So if they okay. start to interrogate you, then you have your right to counsel. Once you're under arrest, then you have a right to counsel. Now, if you're detained and they're doing a stop and they're patting you down, then your right to counsel has not arisen yet. And so what you want, okay. you, you just, you need to see what stage you're in. So say, for instance, uh, you're, you're, at, you're at Walmart and you're being detained. There are a couple of people running out of the store who have allegedly stolen some merchandise and you are detained. He detains you and say, what's your name? Where, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he, he tries to ensure, make sure that you're not the person who's, who's taking the merchandise. He'll pat you down and let you go. Well, your right to counsel did not arise at that point because you weren't under arrest and he hasn't let you go. Now, there are some questions about how long um, that you're detained before it equates to an arrest, and so that gets a little convoluted, so I'll pass by that. But you can be under arrest, well, you can be detained for a certain amount of time that will eventually evolve into an arrest if they hold you long enough um, and probable cause does not suggest that you should be detained. So it would um, arise to an arrest, so it just depends on that. But once you're arrested, once you're arrested and you're booked in, you should be able to call counsel if they are uh, interrogating you or um, if you if if there's a need to call your attorney. And okay. so it just depends. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I like to bring up a lot of different scenarios because, I, like I said, I don't know personally how this works, and this is just people have told me something or and or I've watched a crime show. So I'm trying to – and then I'll have my other phone where people are texting me some questions, so we'll get into those too. For those who just tuned in, you are listening to Loretta McNary Live, and it is Monday, so it is Ask an Attorney Monday. And my attorney today is Victoria A. Washington with the Washington Law Firm, PLLC, and she's located in South Haven, Mississippi. So, uh, and I'm asking, I'm almost interrogating her, and I, I really hate that, but I just have so many questions about criminal <laughs> law and criminal justice and personal injury. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're talking about today. And if you are listening online and you have a question or you're listening on your phone, 
to in order to go into the queue so that I can go to you and allow you in, you have to press the number one, and then I'll know that you have a question and you're not just listening. So all the callers that we have on the board, if you have a question or a comment, please press the number one on your phone, and that will get you into the queue, and we will um, invite you on to ask your question. And for those that are listening online, you can also, there is a, an option for you to send a question if you're listening online, or you can dial in with your phone and ask a question. So we do have a caller, and I'm going to go straight to the phone line. And I'm coming to, well, we have a lot of callers, but nobody's pressing the number one until now. So we're going to 601-291. That is your prefix. Okay. Hi, caller. Welcome to Loretta McNary Live. Ask an attorney. Hi. 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 I have a question for Attorney Washington. I'm I'm wondering um, what sort of in, have you witnessed any injustices in the criminal justice system, and if so, what types of injustices have you witnessed or encountered? Okay, that's a good question. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I have actually, and 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 injustice. It's so broad, so I guess you'll leave that up to me. Um, The first thing that I've encountered, especially in North Mississippi, that bothers me, and it bothers me a great deal, is large time. I think it's an injustice where you have a person who pleads guilty. They get 20 years, five years to serve, five years post-release supervision, right? And so you have some of these people are first-time offenders, So they get a max sentence, but what they're looking at is only the amount of time that they have to serve. So you have 20 years, but only five years to serve. You have a new law that says that you only have to serve 25% of that sentence. So you do the math, 25% of five could be a year and a half or so. So they're looking at, well, I'll get out in a year and a half, and it's not a lot of time. But unfortunately, what they're not considering is that they have 20 over their head. So if they do anything, and usually you don't get your sentence revoked, and when I say revoked is if you only have to serve a year and a half, you still have 20 years hanging over your head. So if you commit another crime, you have to go back before that judge, and he can give you all of that time. To me, that's an injustice. And what we don't realize is that when we take these deals, when we take deals that look like that, we're looking at freedom. I get out in a year and a half. But they're not looking at the possibility of having to having to go back before the judge for a separate and detached crime. And so even if you get charged with something different, you have to look at that time plus all of the time that they gave you hanging over your head. To me, I think that that keeps the criminal justice system um, in, in, in reach of you, regardless if you've served that time or not. And so I think that prosecutors have to look at um, just who they're sentencing and just looking at they have broad discretion in the type of sentences that they can hand out. And I think having that much time over your head does not really serve serve what you know, sentencing is for, you know, you have to look at recidivism. You have to look at 
the injustice in policing in the communities. And so especially if you have an African-American person who has 20 years, well, think about what statistics say about an African-American male and his face with a police officer in 20 years of his life. He will probably encounter a police officer five to ten times within those 20 years, and you hope that that police officer is fair. And so that, to me, that's a huge injustice in the criminal justice system. And and another thing is just um, the type of sentences you get, seeing um, a disparity in what type of sentences you get versus um, charges such as shoplifting versus embezzlement. You have some people being charged with shoplifting. You have others for the same crime being charged with embezzlement, and they have two distinct um, um, two distinct roles that they play, but one is a disenfranchising crime where it allows uh, what will people aren't allowed to vote if they're charged with embezzlement versus shoplifting. And so this this is all prosecutorial discretion in how they charge you, but they have separate and detached um, uh, consequences. One, you serve your time and you go you go on with a misdemeanor offense or you know, uh, shoplifting can be grand, grand larceny, but then you have embezzlement, which you're not allowed to vote. And so to me, those are injustices where you have the same act, but different charges affecting a different group of people. If, if, if I could just limit it to that. Mm-hmm. Carla, did she answer your question? Yes, she did. Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to put well, you back you. on if you have another question. question. Yeah, she mm-hmm. was great. And so um, so now online I have a question. I guess this kind of triggered it. Um, what types of white-collar sentencing versus blue-collar sentences are there other than the marijuana versus cocaine? What I just mentioned, shoplifting versus embezzlement. <laughs> Shoplifting versus <laughs> embezzlement. Like seriously, you Those are the ones that I can think of. You know, you'll see mm-hmm. your. Uh, let me think. Of, let me see. Um, I can't think of any off top other than what I just mentioned uh, with with your shoplifting and embezzlement. Because those um, are huge. I mean, with the the. Cocaine versus having marijuana and how the sentences are differently. Okay, so I have another um, question from the online listener. Um, why are recorded conversations not used as evidence in court? Yeah. Why are recorded conversations as evidence not used in court? I'm missing something there because they re- recorded statements can be used as evidence. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't, I need a little more. To They're pro- saying their recorded conversation can't be, they just said their, why can't their conversation be used? Why can't their converse, recorded conversation be used as evidence in court? So let's just talk about that. So is it is it true that if you're going to record a conversation so that it can be used in court, what are the dynamics around it? Do you have to let that person know? Mm, not necessarily, but but the issue that you have with a lot of recorded conversation is, recorded conversations is authentication. 
and you want to, to prove, you would have to prove that the person is who you say they are. So if there aren't any okay. identifying factors, and even if it is, then you have um, you have to make sure that they they are identified and authenticated. So just I'm, I'm I need more from the question because okay, you, that's, so, that's all they so type that, in. <laughs> okay, that's all they type it, in. It, so it's so broad, and I'm not sure exactly. And, Okay, so maybe they'll maybe they're still listening and they can tell us. Okay, so um criminal and this is what we've talked about previously on when I was hosting Let's Talk Law, the difference between a a criminal case and a civil case so that our audience will understand the difference between those. Okay. Well, your criminal case has constitutional like you you have your fourth amendment you have your 14th amendment and you have a liberty interest at stake and a liberty interest is one of to me one of the highest interests that the constitution can acknowledge and bestow upon anyone it's because that it's your right to person meaning that if you commit a crime then if you're found guilty you can lose your right to have control over your body Okay, your civil side, um, the civil dichotomy is it's a pecuniary interest, which means that it has a financial monetary interest. um, And it also has, you know, you have your property interest. And so to me, the criminal side is is held to a higher standard in my purview because you can lose control of your body. And I think if you lose control of your body, I don't think money matters. (laughs) So I, that's a general, right? I, I think that's a general. That's very a broad, a broad general uh, distinction between criminal and civil. If you have a more specific question, I'm all ears. Okay, then I do have a couple more questions, but I do have to pause and to just tell everybody: if you are wanting to become a sponsor or a guest on the Loretta McNary Live Radio Podcast please email us at Loretta at LorettaMcNary.com and someone will, one of our producers will contact you. If you want to sponsor or advertise on the show, then we will have one of our producers to call you. But the email address, again, if you would like to recommend a guest, be a guest, or become an advertiser or a sponsor of the Loretta McNary Live radio show podcast, please email us at Loretta, L-O-R-E-T-T-A, at LorettaMcNary.com, and someone will respond to you within 48 hours. All right, so we got that out of the way. Okay, now can you tell us the difference between the sentencing when it comes to a state crime and a federal crime? Because I've heard that federal sentences, you have to do all of it. A state sentence can do, what, 15% of it, or you don't have to do whatever they say. You get something off. How does that really work in real life? In real life, well, there have been several bills that have been – well, first, first, let let me – before I get into the bills, there is, of course, you just acknowledged that there is a state – there is state sentencing, and then there is federal sentencing. In federal sentencing, you have sentencing guidelines, and those guidelines are promulgated and operated by statute, and they're codified so that 
the federal judges can look at guidelines and say, based on your criminal history, based on your current charge, based on your acceptance of, um, um, if, if you accept a responsibility for the crime, we can, we have these guidelines. And you can go, it can go from, you get points. And so you have, if, if you are a habitual criminal, which means that you have three or four felonies, federal, whatever it may be, then you get maybe five points. And so I'm giving you very general. You may get five points. Okay. If you are a first-time offender, you may get two points. If you accepted responsibility, they may deduct some points from that. And from those point systems, um, the court, the court can, um, can, they have a range, a range of sentence where they can go from zero years to maybe 10 years, from zero to maybe 15. If there are mandatory minimums, which means that you must serve a mandatory uh, time or sentence, then it may go from five to 10. But in federal court, you have those sentencing guidelines that uh, help guide the judge's hand in ensuring that sentences are consistent and they are parallel because what what we want in the criminal justice system is is a a uh, we want it to appear fair we want it to be fair but consistent and so those sentencing guidelines help to operate and keep judges within a consistent guideline so that you don't vary from person to person that is consistent now state sentencing is at the discretion of the judge but it's also within statutory like you we have statutes that specifically say if you murder it's from zero if you know zero to 20 zero to 30 zero to 40 mm-hmm. years life and so with that because there are no point systems because there there aren't any uh, any guidelines the the judge has discretion as long as it's within the guidelines or within the minimum and maximum terms as the statute requires. And so with the new bills that have been handed down, so to get to your question, so that's just some pretextual background, but to get to your uh, question specifically is that um, Mississippi has undergone a lot of reform. There has not been a lot of federal reform. Now there has, you know, the the president of the United States has uh, signed a bill, which is the First Step Act, that will uh, operate as some reform to the federal the federal sentencing system. But Mississippi has has done a very have become um, progressively uh, they have become more progressive in trying to overhaul mass incarceration. Where in 2014 there was a bill, the 585 bill, and it allowed. Um, a lot of um, people who are incarcerated for nonviolent crimes to be released early, right? And so these bills that have been passed down have have actually helped with the harsher sentencing. There are bills that are in the House that they are trying to ensure will help with, as I think another caller asked about, blue-collar, um, white-collar crime discrepancies. Um, but the the trial judge has a huge discretion in sentencing. And you can get, with those bills, 
like I mentioned earlier, if you're sentenced to five years, to serve only 25% of that time if it's for a nonviolent offense. If you are a first-time offender, you can get out if you serve 25% of that time. And so I would propose that trial, the state courts have broader discretion in in their sentencing, and it helps if you're charged in, in state courts where you can do 25%. But I don't know. And so I'm not saying it doesn't, but I don't know if you have that option in federal court. Okay. I, I do not You're know. so thorough. I can see why Quentin Thompson referred to you, because when I interviewed him, I told him the same thing. You are so thorough. I can only imagine you in trial. I would not want to be on the other side. I would just not want to be, because you guys come prepared. So um, we only have about 13 more minutes. So I have a um, couple more questions, and then I'll let me go back to the online questions, too. But this is an online question. Uh, what do you do if someone writes you a bad check? What legally can I do if someone writes me a bad check? Is well, that a crime? Thing, I mean, I know it's a certain amount, I guess. It is. So you have mister misdemeanor offenses of that I think it's under $1,000. I don't have the statute in front of me, but they can Google it if they, they like to. But a misdemeanor offense is under $1,000. Felony amount is over $1,000. Don't quote me on that because I don't have a statute. Right. But usually mm-hmm. if, you, if you've done everything that you can do and you know this person has written you a bad check and you, you do not believe you're going to get your money, I would propose um, going to, going to uh, the police department and file charges. Okay, after you pursue other recourse. Okay, so this is another question that I asked, and I, I haven't asked the guy attorneys, and I've asked several of the women attorneys, but even as an attorney and, and being uh, a woman and then being a woman of color, have you yourself experienced um, prejudices when you're in court? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I hate to talk about my bad experiences because I think they, they because it, it doesn't. So I have to answer your okay, question. That's, that's all you got to say because um, I'm like that too. I really hate to go <laughs> negative on anything, but I just wanted to know. I know. And, you know because everybody experiences it at some point, especially if you're in a professional public position like a talk show host or an attorney mm-hmm. or you know even a police officer they believe in the you know especially in a cover of color have probably experienced it so all we can do is say yes yeah, so that we can encourage people don't let that stop you because it's just another obstacle and you can overcome it don't give it too much you know handle it at your own discretion but you don't have to keep talking about it and airing you know dirty laundry or whatever like that so I like your answer. Right, it's I not really everybody. do like that answer. It's, it's not everybody. <laughs> it's not. You know, you yeah. have some bad Yeah, and it doesn't like thing. every day. Mm-hmm. So yeah. going back to criminal law, I'm trying to read through some of these questions. Some of them, they just, the wording is not good on them. The wording, come on, give me some complete sentences. Give me some sentences. Okay, so let me tell <laughs> them. Can I tell them how they can reach you? Can we give out your information? Sure. Your phone number? My office number is 662-612-9126927. Say it again. 
Mm-hmm. It's 662-912-6927. Okay. So good. So we all will try and give that number out again for you all that are listening. So, okay. So being an attorney and you went to law school, first you were teaching. And I just want to kind of go back to your, your personal story because I'm just, I love it. I love, love, love it. How even in your bio, it was where you went back, you decided to go and follow your dreams. So you're teaching first. So you're teaching sixth and seventh graders, language arts. You're coaching basketball team. You're coaching volleyball. Oh my goodness! Where do you have time to go to law school and to do anything else? How did you know. find time to well, balance everything you were doing? I think after interning with the Committee on Homeland Security in D.C., uh, I'm 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 a country girl. I was raised in in the Delta, and so being on the Hill reignite it reminded me what I so what I was supposed to do. And I think um, I think every phase of my life, when it's time to me to move me to move forward, you know, God always puts something in my path that pushes me to the next phase of my life. And I think interning um, with the Committee on Homeland Security was what reminded me that I wasn't wasn't really I, I enjoyed what I did, but it was something that was missing, and that's what pushed me. Mm-hmm. And so while I was in D.C., I began taking a class for the LSAT. And that's, you know, of course, the test to get into law school. And so while while I was teaching, I that's that that time that I was in D.C. I started taking a, a course, a Barbie course, to take the LSAT. Mm-hmm. Wow! So then you did some international travel within all of that. Mm-hmm. You traveled I to did. France. Spain, Mexico, England, and the Netherlands while studying Spanish and international law. So was tell me about that. Well, while I was in law school, there's a there's a program, it's the Cambridge, it's um the University of Mississippi partner partners with Cambridge, and that's in the UK, and I had that opportunity at that time. Uh President Obama was in office and healthcare was such a huge issue. So I took up uh, healthcare classes there, um, and it just broke down all the different healthcare systems. And um, I studied abroad, studying Spanish, and that was an undergrad. So I went to Oaxaca, Mexico, and studied at the uh, Instituto de Cultura Oaxaca, where I picked up, you know, Spanish there um, and lived with a family who did not speak English at all. <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> when I came back to the States, I tried to, as I was practicing, you know, you know, they say if you, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so after a while, um, not having anyone to really practice with, I I still can speak a little bit, but not as fluent as I could um, while I was in Oaxaca, Mexico. And so traveling to um, internationally is something that I love to do while I'm out of the States. I don't think about the States at all. <laughs> and so I really enjoyed just, just uh, studying abroad, especially at Cambridge. It was, it was, it was a totally different experience and it pushed, uh, it pushed me to uh, a different, a different um, a level for sure. 
Okay, so let's go. I'm just impressed with your story. I'm super impressed with it. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. let's go back to a couple more questions as it relates to criminal law. But you also say you do um, personal injury, too. And so we've had, we'll have to come back and talk about that because I'm just, (laughs) this criminal thing, I'm trying to understand it. I know I want my audience to understand it, too. So is there, like, like if a crime was committed but no one was ever arrested, like you know how sometimes you'll hear about some, there was a body, and is there some kind of statute of limitation on getting somebody for a crime? No. No, 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 no. There's not a statute of limitations on that. And so that's why now something that you can refer to TV on, <laughs> getting someone for <laughs> if no one was ever arrested. You know, you have cold cases. And when mm-hmm. there is evidence discovered, they can reopen those cases. The issue is that evidence erodes over time, witnesses die, you know, things like that. But I, I don't think there's ever, um, and based on, just based on what I know, I'm not aware of any statute of limitations on someone being arrested or charged for a crime. Oh, wow. And which brings me to the Me Too movement, which is a prime example of that as well with the Bill Cosby Mm -hmm. case. Those were, Mm -hmm. you know, years and years ago, nothing was said or done. And then all of a sudden it comes back up and he's, you know, indicted and he's in prison. So I guess there is Mm -hmm. no, even with that kind of crime, there's no statute of limitation. Yeah. If you look at the historical uh, in Mississippi, um, I think with the um, um, I'm thinking, what's the guy's name? It, it escaped me. It's getting late. Um, uh, I'm trying. I know, I'm trying and I've to been pouring out all these he, questions. It was someone in Mississippi that I did know. something, and there was no statue. Yeah. Yeah, oh, we could just um, they, have they an entire show on crime in Mississippi. I know. So, so I, 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 it's escaping me. I just lost his name. Uh, but he, he's in prison now. Mega Evers. Uh, what's, what's the? Um, yeah. Oh the guy who's responsible the, for his death, finally. Right. In, right. In the Mega Evers case, um, you know, he he got off, but then you know they brought charges back. Uh, against him years later and so it just shows if there's newly discovered evidence evidence if the case is cold and something comes up then of course you can uh, reopen those cases you can now there's a difference if a person is indicted you know if they're indicted that's different but if if no one has been indicted then yeah if you have newly discovered evidence it and and or they just want to reopen it they can do that Okay, so I know there was a word when you were saying indicted, you were telling us about then how that indictment process works. The other word I hear a lot mm-hmm. is arraigned. What does that mean when somebody has been arraigned? Is that the word, the proper word? Because mm-hmm. either you yeah, get indicted is... or you get – is that the other word? If you don't get indictment, what's that word called? No, it will. If, if you're not indicted, if if the grand jury does not return an indictment, then it's called a no true bill. So either you're indicted or or they no true bill it. A true bill is an indictment. No true bill, you okay. don't get an indictment. Mm-hmm. But arraignment is just going before the judge plead guilty or not guilty. Okay, so you were talking about the post 
post-conviction relief, say somebody uh, was innocent. They've been they've done all this time. What happens when somebody is found innocent finally and they are released because mm-hmm. they were proven innocent? What happens to them? Are is the state or federal government um, supposed to help them? I mean, do they just say, "Oh, I'm so sorry"? What happens with that? Other than I'm sorry and we're gonna let you go. Right. There is a civil statute in Mississippi that um, that allows a civil um, civil remedy for those who've been wrongfully imprisoned, which means money. <laughs> Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that in, is that in Tennessee as well, or is that just a Mississippi thing? I don't, I don't know. know. I'm not licensed in Tennessee. Mm-mm. I'll be licensed in September, but I'm not. I'm not sure about Tennessee. I know that's in Mississippi, though. I know when we were doing mm-hmm. the show before. I had some calls when I was at this other station. They were asking for an attorney in Mississippi, and at the time, I didn't know anyone. So now, when I get that question again, guess who I'm referring everybody to? To you, well, awesome. of course. Send them my way. <laughs> send them my way. Definitely. I almost said I will not turn them down, but some people, you know, some people I can't help, yeah. of course, but I thought I would not turn them away. But if I can help, I'll definitely try really hard to help. Okay, so when you have your license in a particular state, then those people who have been accused of or committed a crime or felt some wrongdoing within that state, so you can't live in Memphis but be charged in Mississippi, do you get a Tennessee attorney or do you get a Memphis attorney, I mean a Mississippi attorney? It just depends on or, if that attorney is barred in both states. If they're, if if you're So your question is if you live in Tennessee but you're charged mm-hmm. in Mississippi, right? Uh-huh. Is that, it was that your question? That's my question. Uh-huh. So if so, if a person lives in Tennessee but they're charged for a crime in Mississippi, then they would get they will get an attorney who's licensed in Mississippi. Okay, that's how that works. Because I was wondering about that. I was wondering, oh my goodness, this our time is up. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Any closing <laughs> remarks? I want to definitely um, give out your phone number again and how they can reach you. And I want to say thank you so much uh, for spending this time with me. And sorry about that um, last minute reminder that you got and you had to scramble to make it happen. But I appreciate it. So, um, Victoria no, no Washington, give out your phone number one more no time. No problem. I will, but I want to say one thing before I go is that I okay. host an expungement clinic. Um, on March 30th, which is, it's a free expungement clinic. So if you have charges in Mississippi and you're trying to get rid of those charges, then what you want to do is contact me or, or keep, you know, check, check my page. Um, I'll have a free clinic where I, we will draft petitions and orders where you can send those documents to the court and try to clear your record. And that's on March 29th and March 30th. You can Google that and it's free for the public. Uh, my number is 662-912-6927. It's been a pleasure. All right, everybody. Well, you have that information. If you can't find her, you know you know how to find me on all social media. Thank you all so much for listening and closing. Think positive, dream big dreams. Help someone along the way, and we'll see you very soon on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. Awesome. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.